Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. I really appreciate all the different churches represented here and all the people. And I'm so excited that Rabbi Jack is back with us again. Um, Rabbi Jack is uh, with Jewish Voice Ministries International. That's a mouthful. Say that two or three times and you'll get tongue-tied like I do. Um, but we're so thankful he's here. And you know what's interesting about Rabbi Jack is that he's also a pastor. And uh, he has a, a, a church, a, a Jewish church, a congregation in Phoenix, Arizona. And they meet on Friday nights. And uh, they have about 90 to 100 people come in. And that's a mixture of Messianic Jewish people and us Gentiles. And uh, they all serve Jesus. Amen. Do we know who Jesus is? Amen. Yeah, it's all about Christ, isn't it? And it's so exciting to hear the things that are happening around the world when it's all about Christ. And there's a lot of things going on. We live in a crazy world. And it's getting crazier all the time. And, you know, we're kind, of, we're kind of protected up here in northern Michigan to the point that maybe we don't really see the urgency of the hour. I think we're kind of sleeping up here because we are so protected. We don't even have bad weather. Um, you know, there's a lot of things. There's a lot, I'm a school bus driver, so I know. But there's a lot of things up here that we don't have to deal with. And so it is nice, and I really appreciate Rabbi Jack being willing to talk to us about the first presentation tonight is Israel, ISIS, and the world. And it'll tell us a little bit about what's going on from an from a insider perspective of what's happening in Israel when it comes mm -hmm. to the terrorism and where are we on the end time events. Where are we on the clock of, time, of eternity? Because I believe that it's, it's coming soon. And whether it's my own personal rapture or the corporate rapture, it's coming soon. And uh, so we all want to be prepared for that, right? So that's what we're going to talk about. Then we're going to have a break at about 7 o'clock or so. We're going to have a short intermission. And we're going to invite you all to come next door. Our youth group has a little fundraiser there for uh, some cookies, and I think we might have some pizza and some, some soft drinks and some coffee. So we'll be there about 15, 20 minutes or so, so about 7.20 in that range. We'll come back here, and uh, then we're going to talk about Jesus and the Seder. And uh, this is really uh, an interesting time for us to talk about that. So um, without any further ado, let me pray, and then I want to ask Rabbi Jet to come up and speak with us, okay? Yeah. Let's bow our heads. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we're so grateful and so thankful we have opportunities to come to you freely without any threat, without any concern of any persecution in this country at this point. We're so thankful that we have freedom. And Lord, now we welcome you. Holy Spirit, this is your house, and we're coming into your house, and we are just, we're so glad you're here with us. We sense your presence, and we invite you to be here. Lord, I pray that you speak through Rabbi Jack. And, uh, and just give him freedom to speak to us tonight and uh, take any distractions, anything that he would be dealing with, with his own family situations and, and issues, Lord, and just free him to speak to us and, and help him to be a vessel of honor tonight. And uh, we are so grateful for that. So uh, with that, we just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Jack. Praise the Lord, my God bless you. It's great to be back up here in Charlevoix. Let's give God all the praise tonight. Amen. Go ahead. So glad to be back that... Uh, I, I, I don't have to drive through snow at this time, but boy, have I done a lot of driving. Um, the, last night, I actually gave this presentation at a church in Columbus, Ohio. And so I kind of looked on the map between Columbus and Charlevoix, and I said, okay, I better start driving now. And uh, so last night, I overnighted in, in, uh, in Frankenmuth, very, very nice town, and, uh, and came uh, back up here this morning, and it's so wonderful to be back up here in this community. I've been here several times. My brother in the Lord, uh, my fellow pastor Dan Gilmore of Charleroi uh, Church of the Nazarene, it's always great to see you and your bride. And in fact, tonight of course is a double header. We're going to start off by talking about Israel, ISIS, and the world. Then after that and after our break, Jesus and the Passover Seder. And then tomorrow night, please, would you also put on your calendar, if you can make it, to come to Charlevoix Church of the Nazarene, because I'm going to be talking about a subject that I've never, ever spoken about before, and it might have something to do with the effect that this event and these circumstances have never happened before. Tomorrow night, we're going to look at all five presidential candidates, the two on the Democratic side and the three on the Republican side, and find out where they stand on the nation of Israel. For example, where do they stand on the two-state solution, on Israeli settlements, on the uh, nuclear agreement with Iran? Are they, are they supporters of Israel or not? It's going to be a great thing to learn tomorrow night, because how many of you know that when we go to the polls in November to vote, that we want to be informed about everything? And uh, amen? Amen? 
So I'm glad we had the primary here yesterday. Now that the primary is done, we'll soon be getting out to the wire. It's very, very important that we'll be informed. Tonight and tomorrow night, all three teachings are, are good note-taking messages. And I already see some of you with pads and pencils, and I think that's great. So uh, if you have something to take notes with, you're going to want to get this down tonight. You're going to get a lot of information. This is going to be such a blessing for you. We're going to spiritually feed you, and then for our youth fundraiser, we're going to uh, uh, physically feed you. But um, for, for our notes tonight, this is very, very good to take down. So let me just say this. If you are someone who comes to church normally ready uh, to take notes, uh, then in that case, tonight is your kind of night. And if, on the other hand, you are someone who comes to church and you don't normally take notes, then I will tell you in that case, tonight is going to be the night of your repentance. You're going to want to get this stuff down. Israel, ISIS, and the world, and uh, let me just give a very, very brief introduction because I want to get into the message and be aware of the time we have. Uh, I was raised in a Jewish home, uh, raised to, to go to Hebrew school, to have my bar mitzvah, and to one day marry a Jewish girl, and I got two of those things right. And when I was about 28 years old, I married a Christian woman who introduced me to my promised Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And I came to the Lord in April of 1988. And uh, how many of you know God is, uh, is just so awesome in what he's been doing ever since? I serve, of course, as a, a pastor, as uh, uh, Pastor Mike mentioned, of a Messianic congregation, a Jewish church in Phoenix, Arizona, and also as the staff evangelist for an organization called Jewish Voice Ministries International with Rabbi Jonathan Burnus. But I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we go on. But first, let's begin this teaching called Israel, ISIS, and... Doesn't want to work, so you may have to do it manually. Israel, ISIS, and the world. Let's go on to our first slide, because what I want to do is I want to begin this teaching, if you will, with a question. And Pastor Mike, you're coming back up my way. That's good. That's not the question, though. You got it. Okay. All right, we're going to change batteries on this, but actually the question is, why should we as Christians care about Israel? Tonight, obviously, I'll be talking about Israel. Tomorrow night, we'll see where the candidates are in terms of where they stand on issues regarding Israel. Why is Israel so important? And there we go, there's the slide. Why should we as Christians care about what happens in Israel? She's on the other side of the world. Thank you, brother. The people speak a different language. We have nothing in common with them. And in fact, the vast majority of people who live in Israel don't even believe in Jesus. So why should we want to have anything to do with them? Why should we care about them? And the reason is, is because how many of you know in the Bible, we're told in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God's thoughts are not necessarily our thoughts. And God's ways are not necessarily our ways. God is going to move in ways and do things that may not make sense to us. But if we study and if we focus on the Bible and focus on Scripture, we just might be able to get it. Why should we care about what happens in Israel? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. But first, I want to give you a comparison map or a comparison chart up there on the screen. You will see that... that why should we care about Israel? Because if anything, she is so small and insignificant in size. If you have a globe at home, I used to have a globe when I was a kid. Anybody ever have one of those? Okay. If you go on a globe and look at a globe and try and find Israel, and you don't have a magnifying glass to do it, you're probably going to have a very hard time finding it. It'll take you weeks. Because on a globe, Israel is extremely small. She's tiny. She's insignificant. And here's a, here's, here's a perfect example. We have, obviously, the state of New Jersey. And we have, on the right side, a diagram of Israel. Israel is most comparable in size to the state of New Jersey. The state of New, in fact, it's even smaller. New Jersey is 8,722 square miles. Israel is even smaller than that, 8,367 square miles. The population of New Jersey is 9 million people. Israel's population is even smaller than that, 8 million. So here you have a country that's smaller than the state of New Jersey. Now, let's put things in perspective for you. Uh, how many times in the past month have you heard about New Jersey being in world news? How about zero? 
How many times in the past month have you heard about Israel being in world news? Virtually every single day. So how is it that this piece of land, smaller, so much insignificant, yet she's constantly in the news? And the, the short answer is that God has a very, very specific and divine plan for Israel. And tonight we're going to talk about that. Let's first go on. Why should we care about Israel? And I'm going to give you some reasons tonight out of the scriptures. Number one, because God says he will bless those who bless Israel. Now, this obviously is from a long time ago, Genesis chapter 12. And I've actually met some people who say, well, you know, God wrote this three, 4,000 years ago, Rabbi Jack, so, you know, time has passed. It doesn't apply anymore. Last I checked, the Bible doesn't have an expiration date. Amen? How many of you know that the Word tells us in the book of Hebrews, God says, my Word is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And so if God will bless us if we bless Israel, if God did that for Abraham, he'll do that for us today. Here's what the verses say. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is not just a commandment, but it's also a promise. As I look through history, and I look at all of the countries and empires and dynasties that have been a blessing to Israel over the years, how many of you know that God has taken good care of them? They're still around today. But for those who've come against Israel in their history, how many of you know that they had to pay the price? Which is another way of me saying that how many of you know that when our God makes a promise, he always, always keeps it. Amen? Let's go on. Why else should we care about or support Israel? Number two, because God calls us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is all out of Scripture here. It's from Psalm 122, verse 6, where it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Now I want to talk about, what in the world was that? It sounded like a drum roll. I want to talk about this for a minute because oftentimes when people hear the word prosper, it's used improperly in sermons by pastors who are saying, well, you know, if you give a certain amount of dollars, you will prosper and God is going to bless you sevenfold. That's not biblical. The type of prospering we're talking about here is that when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you prosper because you are praying in accordance with God's will. Your will and God's will are the same. How many of you know that is the greatest way to prosper of all? Now, the photograph that you're looking at in this slide, in the lower left-hand corner, comes from the 2014 General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA. The Presbyterian Church has a number of different, let's say, divisions to it. There's the Presbyterian Church USA, or the PCUSA. There's the Presbyterian Church of America, or the PCA. There's also the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, or the EPC. The reason that I'm making this distinction is because this was the Presbyterian Church USA that in 2014 held their General Assembly. And at a General Assembly, the denominations make a lot of decisions, and they decide whether to enact different rules or laws. At this General Assembly, a resolution was introduced where the resolution said the following, we will agree to pray for anyone and everyone at any time. We'll pray for anybody, except we won't pray for Israel. Now that's shocking in light of the commandment where God says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now here's what you need to know. The resolution was introduced. Thank God it didn't pass. But the very idea that it would have even been introduced is almost unconscionable to fathom. And yet, that's what's happening in these last days. What else does the Lord tell us to do regarding Israel? Why should we care about Israel? Because, folks, that's where God lives. God calls Israel his home. It's in Psalm 76, verse 2. It says, his tent, the Lord's tent, is in Salem. Salem is another name for peace. Jerusalem is called the city of peace. Jeru, Salem. His home is in Zion. So how many of you know that if Israel is the place where God makes his home, 
How many of you know we should want to be a blessing to Israel simply based upon the fact that that's where God lives? It's where he calls home. Why else should we care as Christians? Because Israel is where Jesus is coming back to. And this is from Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. These verses talk about what will happen shortly before Jesus comes and sets himself up in the temple. And guys, you know what? If you want to, just give me a handheld. Or that was perfect. Wow. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. Jesus is coming back to Israel. Do you think maybe that could be why uh, you have this wonderful, peaceful country, insignificant in size. All she wants to do is live in peace, and yet the whole world comes against her. Do you think maybe that might have something to do with the fact that because Jesus is coming back there, that Satan, the devil, the enemy, wants to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth to try to thwart God's plan so that Jesus won't have an Israel to come back to? How many of you know that's not going to happen? How many of you know if you read the book, it's got a great ending? Uh, God wins. Amen? Let's go on. On to our next slide. Why should we care? Why should we support Israel? Because we should love what God loves. Wouldn't you all agree with that? Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8, part of which says, Whoever touches you, Israel, touches the apple of his eye. And, And I've written a little statement under this just to show you how obvious this should be. So if we agree to love what God loves... When God says he loves Israel, why wouldn't we naturally love Israel and her people? Why do we agree? Why do so many agree to love everything God loves except when it comes to Israel? And I've met people like this. If if I could play it out and just direct your attention up here, it would be kind of like this, where the Lord says, I love obedience. Well, then, Lord, I love obedience too. Good. I love holiness and I love reverence. Well, Lord, if you love holiness and reverence, then I love holiness and reverence. Good. Uh, Let's see. I love Israel. Ah, you were doing so well until you said that, Lord. But this is exactly how people react today. They will agree to do and carry out anything God says except be a blessing to the land of Israel. Let's go on now. Why should we care? Because her enemies, and we're about to talk about one of them tonight, Her enemies want her wiped off the face of the earth. This is from Psalm 83, verses 2 through 4. And Psalm 83 is a Bible prophecy for the last days. You know when the last days are? We're in them right now. And one of the reasons that we know that is because 2,000 years ago, when the book of Hebrews was written, it referred to those times as these last days. So how many of you know we've been in the last days for 2,000 years? We've been in the last days for that time. We're even more into the last days. And Psalm 83 is a prophecy of a coalition of nations coming against Israel in the last days. Let's see what it says. See, Israel, how your enemies growl how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. And this is starting to happen now. Did anybody ever notice that Israel is surrounded by neighbors who are armed to the teeth and are bent on her destruction? Let's go on now to our next slide. Since we're talking about Israel's enemies, let me introduce you to a couple of them. And there's a picture of them now. Obviously, ISIS. Now, we hear a lot about ISIS in Iraq and Syria, but ISIS obviously is one of Israel's enemies as well. A couple of questions tonight, and this is why this is good note-taking. Who is ISIS? Where did they come from? How did they come to power? Why? Why? Did they kill? And let's start answering some of those on our next slide. The word ISIS is an acronym for the Islamic State of Iraq 
and Syria. Founded almost 17 years ago by a Jordanian named Abu Musab al-Zarqawi. And within five years, I ISIS became associated with another terrorist group who you're more familiar with, al-Qaeda. Point number two, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi became the self-appointed ruler, head, chief, boss, or caliph of ISIS, and he's been that way since 2010. At point number three, listen to this. This is interesting. In 2014, Al-Qaeda, that terrorist group that blew up the World Trade Centers, Al-Qaeda split from ISIS, saying even ISIS was too extreme for them. Can you imagine? Point number four, ISIS promotes strict adherence to the Quran and Sharia law. ISIS declares jihad against infidel Christians, Jews, Westerners, and Muslims who don't recognize al-Baghdadi as caliph. And point number five, ISIS uses social networks to spread propaganda and recruit fighters. So there's a little bit of an introduction into this terrorist group, who they are and what they do. Let's go on because I talked about the fact that they're an enemy of Israel. Let me show you how. ISIS is now directing its attention toward Israel. It's not just in Iraq and Syria anymore. That's a picture of Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the ruler of ISIS, who said recently, Jews thought we had forgotten Palestine. By the way, let me take a pause here. Um, yeah, Arab terrorists like this will never refer to Israel as Israel. They will refer to it as Palestine because they believe that the land belongs to them. Jews thought we had forgotten Palestine. Very soon you will hear our footsteps. We are approaching you day after day. Jews, you will not enjoy in Palestine. It will not be your land or your home. It will be your graveyard. Allah has gathered you there so that Muslims may kill you. Nice guy. What do you think? Let's go on now. As if that weren't enough. In July of 2014, a protest was held by ISIS uh, uh, allegiance, folks who have aligned themselves with ISIS, against Israeli military operations in Gaza. Now, let me explain what was happening in that year and in that month. In July of 2014, <clears throat> here's what was happening in Israel. You, by the way, how many of you have ever been to Israel? Okay, we got a couple of hands, but that's not enough. Let me ask another question. It'll get more hands raised. Uh, okay, I got it. How many of you would like to go to Israel? Good. When you go to Israel, not if, but when, because how many of you know that that's what we should look forward to? And you're already probably familiar with uh, towns like Jerusalem, Tiberias, Tel Aviv. You heard about them in the news. But <clears throat> when you go, here's what happened in July 2014. In July 2014, everybody was going about their daily business in Israel as usual when bombs and rockets started falling from the sky. This is something Israel deals with on almost a daily basis. We cannot even imagine it here. When the bombs and rockets came over to Israel, the world said absolutely nothing in Israel's defense. However, when Israel decided to defend itself and respond and said, sent rockets the other way, how many of you know the world condemned Israel for doing it? So this is a protest by those who have uh, aligned themselves with ISIS protesting the fact that Israel defended itself against enemy rockets. One year later, in, the, in an area called the Sinai Peninsula, and since I've got this laser up here, let me show you on the map. This area right over here, that is Israel today. Very, very small, as I said, about the size of the state of New Jersey. Right over here on that line is a border between Israel and this uh, uh, kind of triangular, uh, almost shaped area, if you will, called the Sinai Peninsula, which is now part of Egypt. In July of 2015, an ISIS-affiliated group shot rockets from the Sinai Peninsula over into Israel. That was the not-so-good news. The good news, though, is that in that area of, uh, of Israel, uh, nobody lives there. So the rockets didn't hit anybody because there's nobody to hit. They landed in an empty field. But as you could see, ISIS is right up against the border of Israel. Let's go on. On this, this is a, a recent statement from the president of Israel. His name is Reuven Rivlin. He just made this statement a couple of weeks ago. He said, ISIS, the Islamic State, is already 
here. That is no longer a secret. I'm not speaking about territories bordering the state of Israel, but within Israel itself. There is increasing support for the Islamic State among Israeli Arabs, while some are actually joining ISIS. It's happening to that country now as we speak. As we go on, though, here's a little bit of good news. And this comes from a publication called Haaretz. Haaretz means the world, and it's a newspaper in Israel. It's also an online publication. They recently had a story with the headline, the only country ISIS fears is Israel. What happened was Haaretz sent a reporter into ISIS territory. And the reporter actually interviewed ISIS soldiers. And what did they tell him? Well, he says in the article, they told me that they know the Israeli army is too strong for them. They think they can defeat the United States and the UK ground troops, who they say have no experience in city guerrilla or terrorist strategies. They're not scared of the British. They're not scared of the Americans, but they are scared of the Israelis. And they told me the Israeli army is the real danger. That may be the only reason that Israel hasn't been attacked by ISIS as much as some other areas and some other countries have. On to our next slide here. This is a, a gentleman at uh, another ISIS protest holding a knife. You'll see the ISIS flag behind him. And what did he say? We shall conquer Jerusalem from you, O Jews. And as a Jewish person myself, you need to know whenever my people hear this, our expression is, oh, great, another one. Get in line. We've been hearing this kind of thing for thousands and thousands of years because you need to know this is not a recent development. People have been trying to wipe Israel off the face of the earth even before there was a state of Israel. In fact, if you look in the Bible in the books of like Leviticus and Numbers, you see all of these tribes that tried to come against Israel and destroy her. Let's see, we had the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Agagites, the Perizzites, termites. The only ones left today, by the way, are the Israelites. We have no shortage of enemies, and as we go on in this study, you'll find out why. But let's go on to our next slide. This is a still shot from an ISIS video that was made about a month or two ago. In this ISIS video, this is an ISIS fighter. He's wearing the ski mask. He's got, obviously, a knife in his uh, right hand and a rifle in his left, and he's speaking Hebrew in this video. What he says is, we assure you that soon there will not be a single Jew left on Jerusalem and throughout the country. Bring back horror to the Jews with explosions, burnings, and stabbings. <clears throat> this is all over social media. <clears throat> and by the way, how many of you were reading the news yesterday about what was going on in Israel? Anybody hear about it? What happened was Vice President Joe Biden uh, uh, made a trip to Israel to go and meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. In the midst of that, Palestinians attacked a number of people in several cities in Jerusalem. I think 10 were, 10 were wounded and one, an American tourist, was killed because of guys like this who encourage Palestinian youth to go and stab innocent Israelis. On to our next slide. Israel's ISIS problem. It's our problem. Those who attack Israel attack us. We are not removed from this because as of late, how many of you know that particularly in the, in the past year, we have started to see incidents in our country brought about by radical beliefs that we've never seen before. For example, remember these. San Bernardino, December of 2015, just a little while ago. 14 people were killed in San Bernardino as uh, two radical Muslims decided to go into an office building and shoot them up. Uh, Philadelphia, that also happened fairly recently. I believe it was either in December or January, where a man came up to a police officer in a Philadelphia cruiser and shot him. The police officer is going to be okay. But when they apprehended the man and they said, why did you do this? He said, because I have pledged my allegiance to ISIS. Lower corner, right here in the state of Michigan, I don't know how many of you heard about this, here in Detroit, a young man had threatened to actually blow up a church in suburban Detroit on a Sunday, 
The police apprehended him before he could do it, and he said that he had aligned himself with ISIS. And bottom right-hand corner, Columbus, Ohio, where I was last night. And many of you, did you hear about what happened in Columbus? It was about three and a half weeks ago in Columbus, Ohio. A man came into the Nazareth restaurant, a Middle East restaurant in Columbus, Ohio, took in with him a machete and just started cutting people up all over the place. The church where I was at in Columbus, Ohio, is only about a mile away from that particular restaurant. And people in that community are still grieving. But these types of things are happening here in the United States. We've never seen this type of violence, extremist violence, to this degree before. Those who attack Israel attack us. If we can understand the dangers that face Israel, we can better understand the dangers that face us. Why is Israel hated? Well, Jordan's King Abdullah thinks it might have something to do, it's his belief that, that it might have something to do with the fact that according to him, Israel is occupying Palestinian land. And if we would just get out of Palestinian territory, we would have peace. The world hates us because we're occupying land that isn't our own. He said solving the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, in fact, will be the remedy to defeat ISIS. Listen to what he says. The Islamic State cannot be defeated until the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is resolved. Left unresolved, the conflict will become a religious conflict of a global dimension, and it's only a matter of time before we may be faced by yet another war in Gaza or southern Lebanon. And this is why reaching a two-state solution should remain a priority for us all. That's what the king of Jordan says. He basically said, look, you know, uh, the, the reason the world hates Israel is because Israel is occupying somebody else's land. My friend, here's what you need to know. That's what the world says. The Bible says something very, very different. God has a very different opinion. And let me give you a scripture to take down. It's not up there. Genesis 15, 18. Because in that Bible verse, it says, the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, I am giving this land to your descendants all the way from the great river of Egypt to the river Euphrates in Iraq. How many of you know that's a lot of land? How many of you know God said that's what Israel is supposed to be? She's supposed to be that big. Today, she's only one-tenth of the size. So in other my words, my friends, what I'm trying to tell you is biblically, biblically, Israel is not even occupying the other nine-tenths of the land that God gave it to occupy. And the one-tenth of the land that is occupying, the world says it needs to give back. Amazing, isn't it? Let's go on. Is Israel occupying anything? Is this all about occupation? Well, if this is all about occupation, and that's why the world hates Israel, then how come the world hated our people even before we were quote-unquote occupying anything? Let me show you a couple of examples from Scripture. And this is a great story from Numbers 21, verses 21 through 23. And let me set this story up for you. When the Israelite slaves were wandering, and of course they were no longer slaves, when they were wandering in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years, all my people were trying to do was we were just trying to get home. And every time we went into a territory where there was a pagan tribe and we knew it, we would send messengers along to let the king or the tribe know that to, to expect us. We didn't want them to be surprised. We wanted to respect them and give them courtesy. And so we sent word ahead of us letting them know we're coming through your land. We're not going to take anything. We're not going to bother anybody. We just need to go through here because we're on your way home and we thought that we would send you a letter to tell you so. How many of you know that's a nice thing to do? How many of you know it wasn't always received in a nice way? And this is one of those times. In Numbers 21, verses 21 through 23, here's a story of what happened one of those times when the Israelites sent a message ahead to a particular king. It says, Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, saying, let us pass through your land. We will not turn aside into a field or a vineyard. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we've passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to even pass through. 
he gathered all his people together and he went out against Israel to the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Do you see what the king's reaction was? He got a letter from a group saying, we're just passing through your land. We're not going to bother anybody. We hope it's okay. And the king's response was to get all the people in his land and declare war against the Israelites. Wow. Can you say overkill? What was Israel occupying then? Absolutely nothing. Here's another example from the scriptures. From the book of Esther. In chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Esther's a wonderful book, and I so love it because it just shows what a great sense of humor God has. And let me explain why. The book of Esther, if you're unfamiliar with this story, is a story about a Persian king who loved to throw parties. And every time he threw a party with his, with, with, uh, uh, with his men, usually it was a drunken party he had with his men and with his soldiers, he called for his wife, Queen Vashti, to come to the party just so he could show her off. How many of you know that after a while the queen had enough of that? And one day he called her to come, and she said, no, I'm not coming anymore. And because she didn't come, he banished her from the palace forever. Now here's why God has a good sense of humor. At that point, the king actually held a beauty contest to look for a new queen. And the funny part about this is, is that God gave him a new queen, and the queen that this Persian pagan king chose just happened to be a nice Jewish girl. I love how God works. So you now have a pagan king who has chosen a Jewish girl for his queen. He doesn't know she's Jewish, and she doesn't want the word to get out. And her cousin, whose name is Mordechai, is very, very concerned for her because he says, look, if word gets out that you're Jewish, I mean, uh, uh, forget about it. Uh, uh, you might lose your life. And uh, uh, so Mordechai would always stay close to the palace to keep tabs on Esther. Here's what you need to know about Mordechai. Mordechai was a pious Jew who worshipped and bowed down to the one true God alone. On the other hand, the king had a viceroy, an assistant. His name was Haman. And Haman was the kind of guy who loved to walk outside the palace just so people could bow down to him. So how many of you know we got a Haman who wants everybody bowing down to him? And we've got a Mordechai who doesn't bow down to anybody except the one God of Israel. So how many of you know if these two guys meet, there's going to be a little problem and one of them is going to be upset on this occasion? In Esther chapter 3, they meet. Let's see what happens. When Haman saw that Mordechai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Well, we kind of figured that. But let's read on. Yet, having learned who Mordechai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordechai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordechai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Let's hate an entire race because one of our people got you upset. Makes sense to me. And what was Israel or the Israelites or the people occupying then to bring about this hatred? Absolutely nothing. Folks, I don't think this is about occupation. Let's go on. Ben Yehuda Street bombing, February 22nd, 1948. At this particular time, Ben Yehuda Street was a popular street for shopping in Jerusalem, Israel. And on this particular morning, uh, British troops and Arabs tr Arab troops together drove three trucks down this street. And at the appointed time, the trucks were detonated and blown up. 58 Israelis were killed. What? Was Israel occupying then? Answer, once again, nothing. How many of you are starting to get the idea this is not about occupation? Must be about something else. So if it's about something else, why then does the world hate Israel? Why do we have enemies like ISIS? Not just Israel, but us. Why? And here are some present day answers. Number one, uh, because Israel is a Jewish nation. The fact of the matter is that is, is Israel, look, if everybody living in Israel were Scandinavian, we wouldn't have a problem, folks. It's the fact that the people who are living there are Jewish people. Well, but Jack, what would it be about the Jewish people? Why in particular would the world hate Jewish people? They're the most hated people on the face of the earth. Why is that? Here's the reason. The reason is, my friends, that 
Who's Satan's enemy? Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus just happens to be the king of the Jews? He's the son of David. He's from the tribe of Judah. The greatest Jew who ever walked the face of the earth. And this is Satan's enemy. And Satan knows that one day Jesus is going to defeat him in the battle of Armageddon. Do you think that, that in and of itself might be enough of a reason for Satan, therefore, to have a vested interest in going after all of the people of Jesus' line, the Jewish people especially? Makes biblical sense. Israel's a Jewish nation. Uh, you're looking at a photo of a gentleman by the name of Sheikh Hassan Nasrallah. He's the leader of, of course, a terrorist group, Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. Listen to what he says. If they, the Jews, all gather in Israel, it'll save us the trouble of going after them worldwide. Wow. This man apparently would be willing to go to Antarctica to take the lives of Jews if any of us live there, which I don't think we do. Reason number two, because of something called the leftist mindset. Now, I'll explain and break this down for you, but this is a quote by radio commentator Dennis Prager. Let me read this to you, and then I'll break it down so that you can understand where this hatred is coming from. He says, <clears throat> Westerners are almost always wrong when they fight third world countries or groups, and the weaker party is almost always looked at as the victim if they're fighting a stronger, especially Western group or country. Leftism has replaced good and evil with rich and poor, strong and weak, and Western or white and non-Western or non-white. Israel is rich, strong, and Western. The Palestinians are poor, weak, and non-Western. Essentially, what he's saying is this. What he's saying is if, let's say, somebody who... Uh, is poor somebody you know who is poor who doesn't have a lot and they come after you and 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 they attack you they they beat you up and you defend yourself somewhere along the lines uh the sympathy is going to be for them not because you weren't wrong or right but they're the underprivileged ones if you will so they get all the sympathy and you're wrong even though you are the one that got beat up israel goes through that every day of the week here's another reason reason number three because people believe propaganda people simply believe what they see and what they read and also what they hear and a lot of information that folks get from israel comes from the media folks like this reason number four media bias i want you to take a look at this this is uh, from about <clears throat> a year and a half ago and this was on the website of time magazine Time magazine was reporting a story of something that was going on in Israel. And on this particular story, Time magazine led with the headline, Israeli jets launch airstrikes on the Gaza Strip. Now, when people were reading that, they got very, very upset. Is this story true? Yeah, but there's a little bit of information missing. And the information missing is that, yes, Israeli jets did launch airstrikes on the Gaza Strip. But that was because folks in the Gaza Strip were firing rockets at us first. You know, for some reason, Time Magazine just didn't get around to putting that information in the headline. I wonder why. And so if you're just looking at this headline and all you read is Israeli jets launch airstrikes on the Gaza Strip, kind of paints Israel as the aggressor, doesn't it? Kind of almost makes it seem unfair. All these poor people in Gaza were doing was just going about their day, and Israel launched airstrikes against them. That's terrible, Israel. How could you do that? Well, people complained, and they called up Time Magazine, and they said, you better get the story right. We're tired of this media bias. And you know what? Time Magazine did. And they actually changed it to read this way. Israeli or Israel launches airstrikes after Gaza militants, after Gaza militants, fire rocket so they clarified the story but their spelling is a little off because instead of saying israel launches airstrikes after gaza militants fire rocket it says israeli launch it that's one person by the way launches airstrikes after gaza militants fire rocket i don't know i kind of like that too it's like we were getting hit with bombs and there was this one israeli jew who just took all of them out in one fell swoop now, uh, brother, on our next slide, don't we have both of these together? Let me take a look. Yep, there's both of those together so that you can see the before and the after. Now, before I show you this next slide, talking about this bias and this hatred against Israel, let me set up the next slide for you because there's a great story involved. 
at about <clears throat> this same time last year, um, I was asked to come and speak at the annual Governor's Prayer Breakfast for the state of Montana. And they asked me to come up and speak about why the United States needs to support Israel. And we had congressmen there and assemblymen and dignitaries. It was held at Carroll College in Helena, Montana on a gorgeous Saturday morning. And we had about five, 600 people there who were coming in. And I'm trying to greet as many people as I possibly can as they're coming in. And, and uh, one woman, as she's coming over to me, she said, Rabbi Jack, I'm so glad you're here. She said, but I do need to tell you something. I don't want you to get alarmed. She said, but there are protesters outside. I said, really? She said, yes. I said, that's kind of cool. And, and the reason that I said that, I, you know, because, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Sandy Zimmerman's husband. I'm Ryan and Jordan and Casey Zimmerman's dad. I'm just the guy, and the first thing that came to my mind is, wow, I've never had protesters before. This is really neat. And, and in fact, what I did was, was I got a hold of my cell phone. I said, okay, let me get my cell phone. And I said, I've got to get a picture of these folks. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to text it and send it to my wife, you know, and send her the picture. And, you know, dear honey, wow, look at all the protesters came out for your husband. I mean, I was like over the top, over the top. So I, I told the lady, I said, she said, there are protesters outside. I said, you know what? I said, I am going to go out and confront those protesters. And a look of panic came over her face, and she said, no, 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 Rabbi Jack, don't do that. I said, it's okay. I'm a New Yorker. I, I, I can take it. It's all right. And so here I was going with a smile toward the door with my camera saying, I'm going to take a picture of these massive group of protesters. I had the camera all ready, and I'll text it to my wife, and she'll be so proud of me. Oh, my husband, he had protesters. I must take care of him when he comes home. All of these thoughts are running through my mind. And so... I took a picture, and I want to show you the picture. This massive group of protesters who came to protest this rabbi. This huge crowd. Are you ready, everybody? Here they are at the count of three. One, two, three. <sighs> hey, it's a start, okay? Massive group of protesters out there waiting for me. And so I went out there, and I, I see them standing there with their signs. Huh? And I say to them, I say, can, can I take your picture? They say, oh, yes, would you like us to pose? Yeah, sure, great. Massive violent protesters. And so I took their picture, and I, I'm standing just looking at them for a minute. And I look at the gentleman on my left, and, and he's holding up a sign that says Christ is peace. And I said, I got to tell you, I love your sign. It's a great sign. And then I looked at the woman, and she's holding up a sign that said, says free Palestine. And I said, now, i got to tell you, you I, I don't like your sign as much as I like his. Because the sign free Palestine is another way of saying that Israel needs to stop occupying Palestinian territory. And, and I said to her, why are you holding up that sign? She said, because Israel is killing innocent Palestinians, and, and Israel won't get out of Palestinian land. This is terrible. And I said, okay. Can I ask you a few questions? And she said, sure. And the, the first thing that I asked her about, by the way, is, is I said, what is the Balfour Declaration of 1917? Now, you guys don't have to know that on the surface unless you're going to, you know, you're a contestant on Jeopardy. That, you'd study for that. But, but, but you know, if, if not, however, if you hold up a sign like this, you should know that. What that was is back in 1917, Great Britain or England was kind of uh, watching over the Israelis and the Arabs in this area of the Middle East, making sure that they kind of played nice with one another and, and making sure that there were established borders for both groups of people. So Israel had established borders. Very, very famous. I said, have you ever heard of the Balfour Declaration of 1917? She said, no. I said, okay. And then I asked her, the next question was something about called the United Nations Partition Plan of 1947. That 30 years after Balfour, the United Nations said, listen, we know that we gave you guys borders, but 
listen, you Jews in Israel, the Arabs want more of your land, and they're just going to keep blowing you up until you give it to them. So just give it to them, and then you'll have peace. Yeah, we see how well that one worked out. But anyway, so we gave them more land, and the borders were once again restructured, and we weren't occupying anything. And so I said to her, I said, have you ever heard of the UN Partition Plan of 1947? She said, no. I said, Six-Day War, Camp David Accords, Oslo Accords. Uh, it, it, any of this ringing a bell, Genesis 15, 18, by any chance? She said, I don't know any of these things. I said, well, first of all, I want to thank you for answering my questions. And I want to thank you for answering them honestly. But here's what you need to know. What you need to know is that you need to know these things before you hold up a sign like that. You need to have the information. You need to know what you believe. But people don't do that. They simply believe what they hear in the media. Let's go on. And as we do, the Bible tells us that indeed while Israel has enemies and while we have enemies too, how many of you know that God is going to have the last word? Isaiah 41.11. The Lord says, all who rage against you, Israel, eventually they're going to be shamed and disgraced. Those who contend with you will be as nothing and will perish. You know, it is amazing when you look at Israel's history of all of the kingdoms and dynasties and armies who have come against her, and they're no longer here. But Israel continues to be here. Why? Because God said Israel will continue to dwell in safety and security. So with all of this information that we've gotten tonight, what do we do? And I'll answer that for you in a minute. But first, I want to show you this slide from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Because talking about Israel's enemies, we also have to talk about the country of Iran. Uh, hardly a day goes by in Iran where they don't condemn Israel for something. Iran has called Israel a cancer. The Ayatollah Khamenei said last week, he said, Israel won't, won't even exist in 25 years. How many of you know, once again, God has a different opinion? Amen. But when the United States made an agreement, a nuclear agreement with Iran, it upset a number of countries, Israel included. And here were Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's comments of Israel. As a result of that, he said, the world is a much more dangerous place today than it was yesterday. In the coming decade, this nuclear agreement will reward Iran with hundreds of billions of dollars. It will fuel Iran's terrorism worldwide, its aggression in the region, and its efforts to destroy Israel. Wow. So, in closing, what do we do? We've gotten a lot of information tonight in a short amount of time. What do we do about it? We know a lot, but what do we do? We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. ISIS wants to destroy Israel, and as the return of our Lord looms closer, let us prepare for these difficult times by drawing closer, not closet, to him. Let us also do all we can in these days to proclaim the truth that there is salvation in no one other than Jesus the Messiah. And this is true for the Jewish people and for all the people. Let me close you in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we sure have learned a lot tonight. Lord, you tell us that you who watch over Israel neither slumber nor sleep. And Father, Israel's enemies are indeed our enemies because those who come against her come against freedom, come against liberty, and come against peace. And Lord, as you protect Israel, we also ask, Father, when we pray your protection over us. In the midst of these type of radical incidents that we've seen in our country, uh, one of those indeed just a few weeks ago, only uh, a, a few hours away. We thank you, Lord God, for being our God and the God who watches over us each and every day. In Christ Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, Amen.